Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, where Paul read for us earlier. I've entitled this message this morning, Forgiven Much, Love Much. Uh, This should go without saying. Um, Maybe if you're new, um, you're uh, not used to bringing a Bible to church. But uh, this is one of those Bible studies where I really want everybody to take their Bible And when I say turn to this page, everybody should take their Bible and turn to that page. Amen somewhere? (laughs) So, um, you know, if you come to Calvary Chapel, you need to bring your Bible to Calvary Chapel. So that when I say turn to this page, yeah, we have Bibles here, and um, you can do that too, but... um, um, The reason I chose this section of Luke for our study has two reasons. Number one, who is the woman in verse 37 that Paul read about? We know that it was at a Pharisee that asked him to his house in verse 36, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. So we know where he is in Luke. Um, But the question here in verse 22, it says, behold a woman in a city who was a sinner. That's all we're told about her. My question, and number one, um, the two reasons that we're having to study, one, who is the woman in verse 37? Question number one, well, we know she's a sinner, but we don't know who she is yet. The second is actually a biblical teaching on the parable of the two debtors in forgiveness, um, over the years, uh, you, you've noticed things you've never seen before. That's one of the benefits of, of going through the, the, the scriptures consistently. For example, for years, last week, I believed the Beatitudes actually took place in one place. And whenever we would go to Israel, we would go to a traditional spot. And I just assumed that the, the, the Beatitudes was taught on the Mount of Beatitudes. Well, if you look back at chapter six, one of the things we noticed in verse 17 is we learned that the Beatitudes were also taught, chapter six, verse 17, on a level place with the crowd of his disciples and a great multitude. But it goes right into um, the Beatitudes but we notice that they're different from the Beatitudes that we find in Matthew chapter five. So the Sermon on the Mount, which is not a Sermon on the Mount as it was delivered on a plane in Luke's gospel. Of course, the Sermon on the Mount was delivered on a mountain as recorded in Matthew. The similarity in content indicates that the Lord gave his teachings again and again. We do not need a harmony of the Gospels as much as we need a contrast of the Gospels. The remarkable thing about this sermon in Luke is it is dissimilar to the sermon in Matthew. There are omissions, there are certain inclusions, there's blessings, only blessings in um, Matthew, but when we read Luke's account, when he gets to verse 24 in chapter six, he begins with woes, attitudes, and judgments. Um, and yet, it's easy to assume when we talk about the Beatitudes that they were all 
taking place at, at one time. For example, in Luke 6, verse 20, it begins by saying, blessed are the poor. But if we would go back to Matthew's account, in chapter 5, verse 3, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we're talking about two different things here. We're talking about financial things in Luke and spiritual condition uh, in Matthew. Now, the same is true this week with this woman. I've seen things I've never seen before in studying the story that we're going to study and just how complex it is. And you, the, the more I dug into this, the more questions I had, I came to conclusions. But it took a little digging and rereading all of the accounts. Um, now this week we're, we'll get to find here, let's read the first 36 to 39 in chapter seven in Luke's account we're told that one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and as he went to the Pharisee's house, so here we're told it's at a Pharisee's house, he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus was at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. And then she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw that he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman, I believe that was her reputation in town, uh, this is he who is touching her. He's touching her, and she's a sinner. So the question comes up here, who is this gal that um, is, is being talked about? Now, when we do a comparison, what we're going to do next is I'm going to take you through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and talk about similar, and I, I use the word similar, because like the Beatitudes, we're going to find out that they're not all the same story. They're different stories in different houses. Let's begin by going back to Matthew chapter 26. And in Matthew chapter 26, picking it up in verse six, we find, and when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. All right, so what do we have here? A different house, um, and the person whose house it belongs to used to be a leper, Simon the leper. And then we read, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, to what purpose is this waste? Now, a couple things to point out here as we look at this text. This is one of the places the disciples get upset, but it's the only places that uses disciples plural. And we'll find that that'll be different. In one place, it excludes the disciples completely and only talks about Judas. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, to what purpose is this waste? For, 
um, the fragrant oil might have been sold, given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble a woman? She's done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not always have. For in pouring this fragrant oil on me, my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached to the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. I'll say this now, it'll prove itself out later, that what we just read in Luke is not the same account that took place here. One took place in the Pharisee's house, and one took place in Simon the leper's house. And these are two different events. Everybody with me so far? All right, now let's look at Mark's account. Mark, we're gonna find out, is very similar to what we just read, almost identical to um, Matthew's. So we're in Mark 14, picking it up in verse three. We read, and being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leopard. So a leper, not a leopard, leper. <laughs> As he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask, a very costly oil of spikenard, and she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But some of them who were indignant among themselves, notice it doesn't say all the disciples, it just says some of them. Why was this fragrant oil wasted? Might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. You have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. Uh, But me, you do not always have. She has done what she could. She has come before to anoint my body for burial. So that's consistent with Matthew. Assuredly, I, <clears throat> excuse me, assuredly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the whole world, um, this woman, uh, what she did will be spoken of as a memorial to her. So very similar to Matthew's account. Now, let's turn to the gospel of John chapter 11. And I have to admit, this one set me back. And I had to tell myself that I had to recorrect um, Bible studies about this woman that I've, I've taught. I've not only changed my mind, but I, I did it for a very good reason. You say, Dwight, what are you talking about? Well, in this account here in John 11, it says, <clears throat> now there was a certain man, verse one, who was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. So, Here's the group, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And then in parentheses in the King James, not in mine, but it says this. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped her feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. And I said, hold on a second, I gotta go back and reread that. And after I read it about three or four times, I realized it's in the past tense that it's being stated. It was that Mary. Well, what Mary are we talking about here? I used to teach it was Mary Magdalene. That was the woman who was the sinner who came to the Pharisee's house. I've changed my mind. Why? Read it for yourself. It was that Mary, past tense, 
who wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. The sinner in Luke 7, let's go back there, Luke chapter 7, when we read in verse 2, and behold, the woman in the city who was a sinner, well, it is none other than Mary, the sister of Martha, whose brother was Lazarus. And I'll be honest with you, I never put that together before. But you can't get around what I just read in Matthew chapter, John 11, verse two. It was that Mary, which Mary? The Mary that has a sister named Martha and a brother named Lazarus. So this is before she was saved. So evidently, Mary, the one that Jesus always stayed with when he traveled at Mary and Martha, um, we have a little bit of background that she had quite a reputation in the town and everybody knew it, including the Pharisees to such an extent, you have, you have any idea who you're talking to here? This gal, as she's got the reputation in town. If, if you take it, uh, notice it's in the past tense, we read here, go down to verse 47, after he gives the parable, I'm gonna read this a couple times this morning. Um, verse 47, concerning Mary, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with them began to say to themselves, who is this guy who even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Any other time now we read about Mary, she is always at the feet of Jesus. And that's what we read about her. She is totally tuned in to anything that the Lord has to say. And without exception, when you read about Mary, except in this instance here, well, she's still at his feet here. But this is the woman of, um, that had the notorious reputation. It was that Mary. Which Mary? The Mary right here in Luke chapter seven. Be a Berean. Check it out, do your own research. Mary was forgiven much, so she loved much. So Jesus gives Simon a parable about forgiveness. Well, this threw me a curve too. I'm going, Simon, now what Simon are we talking about here? Are we talking about the Simon and Matthew? Simon the leper? And and I come to the conclusion, no, it's not the Simon, because it was at Simon's house, right? And when we read here, Whose house are they at? The Pharisee's house. If you read verse 39, the Lord is, um, uh, this guy is saying to himself, well, if he knew what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner, and Jesus answered it and said to him, who's him? The Pharisee. So what conclusion do we have to draw? Well, his name is Simon too. But can you see how easy you can get confused? I was, in in reading this, well, we have a Simon here, but that Simon lives in his own house. This is a Pharisee's house, but obviously this guy is named Simon too. But unless we really do labor in the word, and and I mean get deep into the scriptures, we sort of skim over these things and we don't realize just how in-depth and different they are. We're talking about different events here. Just like with the Beatitudes. For years I thought there was one Beatitude, one teaching on, on the Mount of Beatitudes. That's not the case. 
For years, I thought this woman here was Mary Magdalene. Um, but because I, she was um, a, a woman with seven demons that the Lord cast, cast out of her. So Mary loved much. So this morning, as the Lord turns now to Simon the Pharisee, he says, uh, Simon, we have the parable of the two debtors. And so let's look at Jesus' teaching on, on forgiveness here, and then I'll also go to Matthew and give you a different perspective on it. Verse 40 through 50. The Lord looks at Simon and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, teacher, say it. He says, well, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed $500, use dollars, $500, and the other owed him $50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love more? And Simon answered and said, well, I suppose the one who forgave more. And he said to him, well, you've rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, now catch that, he turned to the woman. So he's looking at Mary now, but he's talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. Now let me explain the custom. When you've invited a guest into your house in Israel, the very first thing that you would, would happen is that you would be seated. A bowl of water would have been brought and your feet would have been washed in the same way that most of us, I don't know, most of you do, but take off your shoes before you go into the rest of the house. This was customary. What was also customary is that you greeted that person with a kiss on the cheek. They still do that in the Middle East to this day. By the way, they still do it in Haiti. Um, It's just a simple custom, holy kiss, one peck here, one peck here. It was just the natural thing to do. So the Lord um, said, um, you got it right, you've judged rightly. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair on her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Remember in other cases, the head was anointed? Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Let's look at Matthew chapter 18 on forgiveness and the Lord's teaching on it. 18, picking it up in verse 21. The Pharisees had a custom about forgiveness. If you were wronged, um, they would put up with it up to three times. Okay, their, their law that they added on to, okay, I'll forgive you, but no more than three. That was it. After three, you're done. So Peter here 
came to him and said, Lord, how often should my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, I think the reason Peter said seven is he wanted to impress the Lord. Pharisees say three, I'm gonna double it and add one. (laughs) That's my thinking about Peter. Uh, But Jesus says, I say unto you, not up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, my brain wanders with with numbers like that because seven times 70 is 490. And all of a sudden, my head's back in Daniel chapter nine. And I don't think it's a coincidence. There are certain numbers in scriptures that are repetitive. 40 for one, seven all over the place, 490 other places, but this happens to be one of them, 70 also. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And by the way, it doesn't mean when you get to 491 that you don't forgive them anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking that's what Peter's thinking. All right, I'm counting. Get out calculator and add them up. And when he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. Let's just make up a big number here. Uh, say $2 million. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and his wife and children, all he had, that payment would be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion. He's probably thinking this guy's not gonna ever come up with this amount. Released him and forgave him of the debt. That had to make him feel pretty good. Two million dollars? But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Let's say it's 20 bucks, okay? So he's just been forgiven two million. And here's a guy who owes him 20 bucks. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, just please be patient with me and I'll pay you all. I mean, word for word, what the other guy said to the king who owed the two million. But he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved and came and told their master, the guy who had forgiven him the two million, what he had done. And the master who he had called said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and he delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Important verse, and so my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. This teaching here, it pertains really to you and to me. How so? Well, you see, you and I have been forgiven a debt that we can never ever repay. There's, my sins can only be forgiven by the precious and, might I add, priceless blood of Jesus Christ. It can't be paid any way, other way. And I can't pay it. And neither can you. So when we have been wronged, 
by others and comes to us like this guy at verse 29 here where we read again saying, have patience with me. Uh, Now we have somebody who has wronged us and they come and say, look, yeah, I blew it. I'm sorry. And you don't forgive um, at this point. It it comes down that uh, he asked for forgiveness. You must forgive him or her. Well, what if I don't want to? Well, here's the consequences. The consequences are verse 34 and 35. Spiritually speaking, the person who holds unforgiveness against the person who wants to be forgiven, you're going to be tormented. They might have forgot all about it. You're the one that's going to be tossing and turning at night because the Holy Spirit is going to turn you over, not give you any peace. Because when people know the word of God and they say, yeah, I've been forgiven something, I can... I can never make it right. Only Jesus can make it right. Therefore, I lose my right to um, anybody who is, wants forgiveness and I withhold it from him. I do not have that right. But you have a free will. Good place for an amen. You can choose not to. But let me tell you the consequences. You'll be tortured. Not physically, but internally. You will wrestle with what's been forgiven you and you have the audacity to hold 20 bucks over some guy that really wants to make things right, and you're saying in your own heart, I don't think so. Now, some of you at this point are thinking, yeah, Dwight, but you don't know what they did to me. I will never forgive them. And there are people here watching online that have that attitude. They've been wrong to such a point I will never, ever do it. Well, here's what you need to do. So let's go from that attitude to the verses right before it to the offended brother, Matthew 18, verse 15. And uh, let me qualify this by saying I believe that the Lord is talking about believers here because he calls me your brother. He says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, then tell him his fault. He might not know that He sinned against you or offended you or whatever. He says, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. In other words, you have a one-on-one meeting with the guy. And he said, you you know, you really offended me. You slandered me. And that was wrong for you to do that. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. All right, let's think it through. He goes to him and he goes, you know, I didn't even know that I did that to you. I'm sorry. At that point, if he hears you, you've gained your brother. Forgiveness has just taken place. But let's say he doesn't hear you, verse 16. But if he will not hear you, take two or more, and by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Hey, listen, this guy, he slandered me. And um, he's not backing down. Well, then take another brother and say, is it true? You know, this guy's trying to make it right with you. What's the problem? Why aren't you making it right? But again, free will enters in, and you can choose to make it right or not make it right. Verse 17, but if if he even refuses to hear them, then tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you as a heathen and a tax collector. Why? Because we must forgive in the same manner. As your heavenly father has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Then he qualifies it, not just from up here. 
All right, I forgive you, head words. No, 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 from my heart. I know the debt that I've been forgiven. I can't pay that one back. And I have no rights to hold anything over anybody if in their heart they're wanting to make it right with you. And if they refuse, then, you're, then uh, if I understand this correctly, you've done your part. Be at peace. Um, and um, that's, the other guy's got to go through it. Now, this thing of forgiveness as a believer, it is an ongoing process because we continually sin. Good place for an amen. <laughs> if we continually sin, then we continually need to be asking for forgiveness. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 tells us, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, now we're talking between you and the Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, like the guy back in Matthew 18, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Um, Again, I believe the Proverbs teach on your best day, you're gonna mess up seven times. A righteous man says false seven times. That's on, a, that's on your good day. That's the very best it gets. So either in thought, word, or deed, we gotta be going saying, Lord, I got in the flesh, lost my temper, said something stupid and I shouldn't have. Lord, I'm sorry. And so you go on a couple hours later and you repeat the same stupid thing all over again. And so you, what do you gotta do? Said, Lord, I did it again. And... What is the Lord's attitude on this when we come? Um, not just seven times and not just 490 times. We walk in repentance because we're continually sinning. Good place for an amen. But the good news is that the forgiveness comes and the cleansing, um, uh, and the cleansing is there. He is faithful to forgive and we must do the same. Let's um, go and give you an example of what we shouldn't do when it comes to this area of sin. Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter six. The Romans had copped an attitude when they heard the gospel. In verse one of Romans six in Rome, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, here was the attitude. Great, God is in the forgiving business. Let's sin. If God's in the forgiving, well, great, we'll just sin. And I, this is taking advantage of the grace of God. Goes contrary. What does Paul say? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or don't you know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also should we walk in newness of life. Basically, the Romans are saying, 
I'm going to accept the grace of God, but I'm still going to live the way I used to live. That was their attitude. And Paul says, certainly not. Verse five, for we've been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. That was certainly the case with Mary, Martha and Mary. She was a notorious sinner with a reputation. But where do we find her the rest of the scriptures? Sitting at the feet of the Lord, listening to her word. Matter of fact, the Lord commended her. When Martha got upset, they were having a dinner party. Mary was listening to the Bible study. Sarah was doing all the work. So Sarah goes up to the Lord and says, Lord, tell my sister to help. And, and she had an attitude about it. And the Lord says, no, no. You see, Mary here has chosen the better part. And that was sitting at the Lord's feet and hearing his words. So that's what it means to be changed. She went from the woman with the reputation in town, but when we talk about Mary and Martha, we always see the Lord commending her because of her desire to want to hear the Lord. To this extent, this is what went over the disciples' heads. Guys, going to Jerusalem. When I get there, I'm gonna be betrayed, beaten, crucified, I'm gonna die, and I'm gonna rise again the third day. He said that at least on three separate occasions. Did they get it? (laughs) But there was somebody who was listening. Somebody who was listening, who was forgiven much, who loved much, that took it to heart, and she heard that Bible study. She says, the Lord is gonna die and uh, be resurrected again the third day? Well, if he's gonna die, then I think I'm gonna anoint him for his burial. Is that what we not read in these accounts? She did this, the Lord said, to anoint me for my burial. None of the other guys got it because they weren't listening. Mary did, why? She was listening. And she did this on several occasions. But the ones that were closest to him um, it went right over their head. So, Verse six of chapter six, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. That means you become a new believer. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old, old things pass away. All things become new. So we find, as um, we're thinking about this this morning, um, I'd like you to, we're actually pretty close to winding things up. I want you to go to the Matthew chapter 6, though. And if people don't know anything in, in the Bible, everybody knows the, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And that's what Matthew 6, 9 through 15 is. And as we're closing this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something. But first I want to read uh, the Lord's Prayer. We'll pick it up in verse uh, 7, talking about prayer. When you pray, do not use vain repetition. In other words, that's saying the same prayer over and over and over again. Why? Because it loses effectiveness. It becomes more of a head thing that you can just rattle off instead of being from the heart. As the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their much words. Therefore, don't be like them, 
For your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask. But in this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or sins as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. I'm gonna do something that I, um, I've done before, but not too often. And it's just gonna take a moment. What I'm gonna ask you to do is just for a moment, I'm just gonna ask you to close your eyes. Just close your eyes, don't look around. Uh, Just for a moment, and I'm gonna ask a question. Question is this, who do I need to forgive? Who's the first person who just came into your mind? You can open up your eyes now. I'm gonna ask you to settle it this morning. I'm gonna ask you to settle it here. I'm gonna ask you to settle it right now. Not that you need to talk to me, you don't talk to anybody but the Lord. Whoever that person is, and they have been wanting to make it right. If I understand our Bible study this, this morning, we've been forgiven something we can't pay. And we do have no right if a person wants to make it right. So whoever popped into your head, Hopefully, a whole bunch of you had nobody pop into your head. <laughs> Say, I don't want to live like that. Um, if you do, well, guess what? If you've made it right before, before the Lord and said, I'm going to make it right, even if it's just between me and you. Uh, if you do, good news. You'll be free. You can skip out of church this morning with a, a song in your heart. If you don't, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be tormented. If you hold on to that unforgiveness, when it says here, turn them over to the tortures, no, not tortures, but you will be tormented because now you know the truth. Now you know you don't have that right to hold it. And by the way, you're the only one who's suffering. The other person isn't. They probably don't even know about it. So because we've been forgiven much, well, we should love much. We should love to the capacity that says, I don't dare um, d- despise the grace of God in all that he has done for me. I'm one of those guys like Mary that has been forgiven a whole lot. Um, and and uh, especially I'm talking about my BC days. Because we have been forgiven much, uh, let's love a much. Good place for an amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for, as we discovered in men's prayer yesterday that there's no issue in life that you don't deal with and that tells us how to live how to love how to forgive Lord as I'm praying this morning I pray that you would be freeing people and releasing people for people that they have not forgiven who they feel have been wronged Lord set that person free this morning and help them understand that we can't hold it over because of what you've done for us. We don't have any resources to pay for the king 
that forgave us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Say, I don't want to live like that. Um, if you do, well, guess what? If you've made it right before the Lord and said, well, I'm going to make it right, even if it's just between me and you. Uh, if you do, good news. You'll be free. You can skip out of church this morning with a, a song in your heart. If you don't, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be tormented. If you hold on to that unforgiveness, when it says here, turn them over to the tortures, no, not tortures, but you will be tormented because now you know the truth. Now you know you don't have that right to hold it. And by the way, you're the only one who's suffering. The other person isn't. They probably don't even know about it. So because we've been forgiven much, well, we should love much. We should love to the capacity that says, I don't dare um, despise the grace of God in all that he has done for me. I'm one of those guys like Mary that has been forgiven a whole lot. Um, And and, uh, especially I'm talking about my BC days. Because we have been forgiven much, uh, let's love a much. Good place for an amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for as we discovered in men's prayer yesterday, that there's no issue in life that you don't deal with. And that tells us how to live, how to love, how to forgive. Lord, as I'm praying this morning, I pray that you would be freeing people and releasing people for people that they have not forgiven, who they feel have been wronged. Lord, set that person free this morning and help them understand that we can't hold it over because of what you've done for us. We don't have any resources to pay for the king that forgave us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.